0: Let us turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts 12. We're picking up right in the middle of the book of Acts where we've left off. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're in the middle of a very intriguing incident. Look forward to what the Lord has for us this morning. Now, Heavenly Father, it's always our custom to kind of still our hearts before you acknowledge your presence Here before us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. You've got something in this passage that is going to relate directly to our hearts and lives. And in many cases, it could be life-changing. So help us to pay attention uh, in the heart where you're speaking, where you live, by your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember last year uh, reading about a, a very daring uh, prison break story. I like that kind of thing, um, especially when you, could root, when you could root for the person because the person is actually innocent and it's the bad guys who have them there. Uh, I heard you (laughs) snickering there. Well, you know, you're watching a movie and the bad guy is trying to escape and then suddenly you find yourself rooting for them, right? I mean, and you have to remind yourself, oh, wait a second, he's a bad guy, (laughs) you know? But in this particular case, a US woman named Jessica Buchanan Last year, she was an aid worker. I have a picture of her. She's kind of clothed in the uh, clothing of the country there in Somalia, helping as an aid worker. And uh, she endured three months of just a terrorizing ordeal with Somali uh, kidnappers. And uh, what made things worse is that she has a life-threatening medical condition. And after three months, things were uh, getting very Uh, Dire, And so the U.S. special operations team, Navy SEALs, uh, went into Somali airspace. And from above, they parachuted. And all of this is caught on video. Just wonderful thing to watch. And into the night, two o'clock in the morning, Somali time. And they get into the Desert encampment where Jessica was. And there was a, uh, a, a gun battle, firefight, no U.S. casualties, uh, but all nine Somali kidnappers were uh, killed in that battle. U.S. Africa Command said uh, that everything went amazingly. Um, Jessica, they found Jessica, they freed her, and then in just moments' time, put her onto a waiting helicopter, closed the door, and then up that chopper flew into the night sky. And her just probably thinking, what just happened? Am I dreaming? I mean, I was just about to die. I was in the, It was in the middle of the night. Suddenly she hears the whirl of the uh, choppers above. And some guys, you know, the seals are there rescuing her, carrying her to the uh, chopper. And off she flies and, She's just overwhelmed and ecstatic, and I'm sure thinking, boy, boy, I thought I was dreaming. Well, I know somebody who might have had the same sort of feeling, um, and we're going to meet him this morning here in chapter 12. People, That was funny, because people were looking around like, where is he? <laughs> uh, the Apostle Peter is not here, uh, but we are going to be talking about him uh, and his wonderful break. Uh, from prison, Uh, and he is a good guy. And we are rooting for him because the bad guys have tossed him in the slammer and they have set a date to execute the apostle Peter and stop the spread of the gospel. But God has another plan, verse one. Now it was about this time, this time meaning when the church at Antioch had sent Paul and Barnabas uh, to Jerusalem with a love offering during the time the Antioch church is doing really well. All right? It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that that made the Jews really happy, (laughs) he proceeded to seize Peter as well. This happened during the holiday, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Passover time, verse four. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 armed guards. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover, so let's pause there. If you're taking notes, number one, Christians persecuted. Now, this is about just really a fact of life uh, Jesus warned us, he said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You act like me, you talk like me, we have the same message. And so if they got me across, that's not going to get you a standing ovation. So just know that in the same way the world received me, which was a, a slam door shut, they are going to, f- by and large, receive you in the same way. He went on to say there that don't be surprised if members of your own family uh, and you are divided because you are polarized by me. So one person's heart goes to God, one person's uh, heart is not there, and then you stand divided. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, flat out, everybody who wants to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus, will receive some kind of opposition because of the nature of the world and the nature of the light in the world. Jesus said this, John chapter three, the light has come. He says, here's my verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness. And so there's this war between light and dark. And uh, because of that, there's always going to be persecution. And so, but what's interesting here is that Herod is involved. Now, what does this say? As the church is growing wider and wider in its scope, so too now the source of its persecution. So in other words, it started in Jerusalem, and it was just like Jesus said, a little mustard seed. But Jesus said, don't be surprised, because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed when you plant it, it's a very small seed. It can go under your your fingernail. But, But it makes a pretty big plant. The birds can perch in its branches. So back in the day, when the gospel first came, it was a mustard seed, kind of like a nothing. So it's an in-house persecution. The Pharisees, the religious people, the Sadducees, you, you know, even when they came to uh, Pilate, and they said, we've got a problem. We want you to kill this guy, Jesus. And he said, well, why are you involving the government? Handle this according to your own Jewish laws, please. Please. You see, back in the day, you could do that. But now something's happening. The plant is growing because Jesus said, my gospel will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as the influence of Christianity spreads, now so to the government. It used to be religious persecution. Everybody was dying before this point. It was all because of Jewish leadership. It was an in-house thing, but now Herod, who is a puppet king of Rome, he's like the—he's the, a politician. He's—he's a, he's a, a king uh, representing Rome, and now he's involved. And so now Christianity is being officially recognized uh, as something to persecute uh, religiously. Now Herod uh, gets a hold of James for some reason and kills him. And he finds out, oh, this makes the Jews happy. My constituency is thrilled. They're going to vote for me. So ah, I've got to find somebody else, too, to make them happy. So he's on to something here. Let's talk about Herod, OK, because there are six of them in the Bible. So I don't want you to be confused with your Herods, all right? <laughs> so let's do some quick Herodology. <laughs> all right. Nasty, pathetic family. There's a family tree. All right. The great-grandfather Cobra, all right? Because there are six of them. He is the nasty starter of it all. He is Herod the Great, or in other words, called Herod the Great Sinner from our point of view because he's the guy, the wise men come, right? He hears about this new king. He's all freaked out. Hey, there's only one king, and that's me. So we're going to kill all the likely contenders. I don't care that they're babies. Put a sword through them, and they did and so we know about him. Now, he had four boys, but he killed most of his other ones. These are the four Herods that survived. And after he's gone, he's going to divide up the area and say, my four boys can handle four areas. That's why they're called tetrarchs, because the word tetrarch means one of four governors. All right? So the king, the king thing is they're not really kings. Rome is calling them kings. All right? So we'll deal with our aristobulus later but we want to find out who's this herod right this is the guy who joseph and mary is coming back from egypt with baby jesus and because this mean guy is ruling in a particular region they settle in nazareth because they hear that archelaus is ruling elsewhere so this guy herod antipas now now these guys are all brothers right This guy is the most famous one of all because Herod Antipas is the one that Jesus deals with. Jesus has nothing kind to say about him. Herod wants to kill you. You go tell that fox, that deceitful man, that wicked person. Uh, So that's the Herod. Now, he's famous because he's the one who ordered John the Baptist's death, right? You know what John got in trouble? He threw, Antipas, threw John into prison. Why? Why? because John was saying, it's not lawful for you to have Philip's your brother's wife. So his ex-wife came over and married Herod Anubis. And then so John the Baptist said, yo, Herod, that isn't cool. And then Herod said, yo, John, you know what? You know what's not cool? My dungeon, that's where you're going. (laughs) Then his new wife who didn't like to be constantly told that she was an adulteress, said, you know what? One party, everybody had a little bit too much wine. You know what I'd like, honey? What would you like? Up to half of my kingdom. I want John the Baptist silenced. Give me his head on a silver platter. Yeah. you know, Philip probably heard that and said, I told you she was nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before... Herod killed his son, Aristobulus. He had a child. That child is Herod Agrippa I. He is killed by his father, but not before this son is born. This is the son, this is the Herod we're dealing with. This is the guy who said, you know what, James, you're dead, and killed James. And you know what, Peter? I'm gonna throw you into prison and I'm gonna persecute. I'm gonna stop this church. I'm sick of hearing about Jesus this and Jesus that. And the light has come into the world. Well, I'm gonna stop this madness and now he's the Herod. And just for fun, Herod, you know, spoiler alert here, spoiler alert. Herod, he dies in this chapter, okay? But not before he has a little boy. So in this chapter 12, he's got, there's a little j- junior Herod running around because he's gonna grow up to be Herod Jr., who you read about in Acts 25, where the Apostle Paul comes into the Colosseum, and there are three siblings. Herod has three kids. Herod Jr., Bernice, and Drusilla. They're all siblings, but guess what? Gag reflex in check, folks. Herod is married to his sister. Yeah, that's so sad. That is wrong, 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 wrong. And Drusilla is married to Felix, so they're all in Acts 24 and Acts 25, Paul the Apostle's preaching the gospel to them, the three of them, just sitting there, right? You know what? I love reading, knowing this and reading Acts 25, you read, and then Paul gave a discourse to three, these three all about self-control. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, yeah, you know, and then uh, the rest is history. So that—that's my Herodology for you. You know, um, yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Now you know who he is and how pathetic it is. And can you put that back one more time? What if one of these guys got saved? You know what would happen to the family tree? There'd be a split. From broken, crazy, shameful, alcohol, violence, divorce, sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, from generation to generation to generation, if just one of them just opened their hearts, not only would they be saved, but the whole line after them, My line was like that, crazy, 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 my crazy father, and then my crazy father at 55 opened his heart to Jesus Christ and got saved. And that spread to his crazy son, Ross and Darian and Jody. And that spread to his crazy son and daughter, Zach and Jordan and PJ and so when I see light in my kids' eyes, I know Whoa, we went from crazy, 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 saved, saved, saved. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. So, folks, when you're dying to self, picking up a cross and following, it's not just that you're benefiting. Should Jesus delay his coming, which I don't think he's going to, but uh, if it goes much longer, you are benefiting your kids and their kids from a lot of craziness. Amen? Amen? i want to throw that in there for free. All right, we'll move on. The lights. Thank you. So, uh, he makes his move, all right? Because he hates the light, he's going to try to stop the light. Well, you know, that's the problem with people who want to just do away with the light and the messenger. You heard about the missionary who went to some tribe back in the 50s. They didn't have mirrors yet, the tribe. So, they gave the guy... A mirror, and it was the guy, he's all tatted up in his face, and he had big gauged ears, and he had a nose thing, kind of like someone working at Starbucks. Whoops. <laughs> <coughs> <well, laughs> see this? Bad. <laughs> um, but the guy looked in the mirror, and he got freaked out, and he smashed the mirror and tried to kill the missionary. Why? Uh, don't show me that, who I am, because that freaks me out, and I don't want to see it. I'm not interested. I have my own little picture of who I am and what I look like, and I don't need you putting it in my face. Thank you very much. Done with the mirror and for the one who brought the mirror. Herod doesn't like the mirror. James was holding the mirror. Got to kill him. Peter as well. James, oh, James is one of the 12. He was the top in the top three always. Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. He had such special privileges, didn't he? The three of them and the three alone saw Jesus' glory on the mount there when he was transfigured. The three of them and three of them alone saw Jesus' power at Jairus' bedroom there when his little junior high girl was raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John alone were in the garden praying or trying to pray with the Savior. It was that James who maybe that kind of privilege kind of went to their heads a little bit. They were called the sons of thunder, him and his brother John. You remember in Matthew 20, at least it went to the mom's head, but the brothers were in on it mom goes to jesus and says jesus got a favor to ask you and he says what can i do for you and and she says when you come back in your glory could jim sit on your left and john sit on your right and this is the james and the lord said i don't think you know what you're asking and he looks at the guys he says james john can you drink the cup that i could drink and all three of them, including Mom in the background with the elbows, yes, <laughs> yes, we can. And he goes, you know what? You are going to suffer. You're going to drink the cup. But whether you're sitting on the left or the right of me, God the Son has submitted that to God the Father, and so it's it's a moot point here. And uh, Herod arrested James and took a sword. And they beheaded him. He drank the cup, just like the Lord said he would. Now, like a corrupt politician, uh, waves of uh, happiness went through Herod's jurisdiction, and he thought, "Well, what what bought me a few votes is now going to buy me a lot of votes because I'm going to go after the kingpin, this Peter." And the Jews hated Peter. Why? Number one he was prominent. Number two, he's the guy who's going to the Gentiles right now. So he, uh, it used to be, okay, we'll tolerate you. You know, you're preaching on Jesus, but you're living kosher. You're going to temple. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're being a Jew. But now, Peter's like, okay, we're going to leave Judaism behind and we're going to tell people you can come in with equal footing with a Jew and you don't have to be one. Okay. We hate you because you're an enemy of Judaism. So Herod picks well. He's going to go after Peter, and he's going to do away with Peter. He's enemy number one. Now, uh, the, your text says it's during the, the holidays. Uh, Passover happened, right? And then they have a week called Unleavened Bread. So their Passover's really eight days, right? During the Unleavened Bread, the spiritual application of that is to search their hearts for yeast. So the yeast represents sin. So they're not supposed to eat anything with, with yeast in it. So all the bread is flat for a week. That's not the important part. <laughs> the important part was s- search your hearts for seven days and seven nights and see if there's something corrupted, something rebellious, something secret, something in the dark that will start little and ferment Corrupt. Now, if you gave somebody, I don't know, two hours and said, spend two hours thinking about what could be in your heart that's nasty and needs to be brought out into the light, you could find some stuff, but God's pretty serious. (laughs) He says, I want you to take seven days and seven nights. Think about it. Open your hearts before me. Is there anything in there that needs to go? Instead of cleansing their heart of sin, During this time, they come up with a plan to kill one of God's apostles. Religion kills. Religion's all about rules, regulations, and outward appearances. Religion is a death notice. Jesus was killed by religious people. Anybody ever tells me while I'm witnessing to them, uh, sharing the gospel with them, I'm not religious, either am I. Yuck, I hate that word. Most born-again Christians do not like the word religious because it sounds dead. You go into church one way, you come out the same way, nothing happens, there's no heart there. The letter of the law kills, but relationship with God brings life. And so uh, that's the paradox that we see there. All right, moving along. So uh, he locks him up. Why 16 soldiers to one guy? Well, 10 years before, they locked 12 guys up, and during the night, something mysteriously uh, wonderful happened. They ended up being escorted by an angel out and uh, let go and, and teaching in the temple courts 10 years earlier. There's the rumor about that still. So we're not gonna have that happen again, so we're gonna sign 16 soldiers, and we're gonna chain this guy up to at least two of them and have them all around, because that's not going to happen again. Listen to what Winston Churchill said. Oh, Herod and Herods of the world, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Get a clue, Herod. Oh, my gosh. I mean, God is going to win. What is so hard to get that through our heads? God wins. Those who oppose God and truth lose every time. That's what we learn here. There is no wisdom, there is no plan, there is no insight that prevails against the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 20. So go ahead and lock up the pastors, which they've done today. They're locked up pastors like me all over the world. Go ahead and torch our churches. They're torched, they're burning today. All parts of the world. Go ahead and persecute the church, burn the Bibles, do your thing, kill us. Been doing it for thousands of years. Does it seem to be helping? (laughs) No, it doesn't because God's word will continue. God wins, and that's just the way it is. But the wicked will perish, though the Lord's enemies are like flowers of the field, they will be. They will go up in smoke, Psalm 37 and verse 20. So I like what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while you can. You know why? Amnesty ends with your last breath. That's it. It's over. Game over. God draws a line in the sand. He knows your day. He knows the day when those heart stops beating, the mercy, whatever state you die in, that's your state forever. And so it's real important to make uh, peace with God, to accept the peace he's made with us. And so uh, even when you chop a guy like James' head off, there's a head that's untouchable because the body fell over, the head separated, and he stood in the presence of the Lord with a head that received a martyr's crown. The Bible talks about a special reward and crown that martyrs receive there in James chapter 1 and verse 12. Just wonderful. So it's win-win for us. Maybe that's what Peter knows, and maybe that explains how we find him now in the upcoming paragraph, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church. Peter was in prison, but Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That night, before Herod was to bring him to trial, so it the eve of his execution, actually, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, <laughs> and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, quick, get up he said and the chains fell off peter's wrists. then the angel says to him put on your clothes and your sandals peter did wrap up your coat around you and follow me the angel told him peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that the angel was doing what he, he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening he thought he was having a dream They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent an angel, rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. All right, so we've made it all the way to Uh, Point two, Christians were persecuted, now Christians are praying. Now, it's a good thing to do, don't you agree, when they've killed one of your leaders and then they've uh, arrested the next one and with the same intentions. The church went to work. That's what prayer is. Prayer's a lot of work. You you know why you have such a um, struggle with prayer? Because it's a lot of work. But the, pr- the, tr- the church is uh, praying. Now, the word uh, helpful adjective here, the word w- uh, the church was earnestly praying. The word in the Greek means to strain or to agonize toward or to stretch. Very interesting. Uh, I'd like to paraphrase it as they were praying like they meant it, all right? Uh, it's one thing to ask the blessing, uh, la-di-da, you know, dear Lord, blah, 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 whatever, right? Uh, It's another thing to be asking the Lord to save somebody's life or to heal their body of a deadly disease. There's, There's just something about fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of one set right with God avails much. The fervent prayer, it's the same word. There's something about engaging in a passionate way with God. Now, something that was really stuck in my mind, and I use it a lot as an illustration of this. Uh, Back when my kids were in grade school, I was at the computer, and one of them came in and started talking to me about something they needed. And I was doing, I was multitasking. I was listening, but, you know, what do you call it? Selective listening, right? They realized that, and they grabbed my face with their hands, Hands pulled it into their face, forehead to forehead, eyeball to eyeball, right in my face, holding my face like this, said, Dad, I need you to listen to me. I have something important to say. (laughs) Right? Oh, man. That moved me. Does that move God? I mean, God is never inattentive. But the posture of our heart and the tone of our asking, I think it makes a difference. It, it seems to make a difference. And so the church took the face of God, their father, collectively. Let's get a hold of God. Let's get in touch with the living God. They killed James. They chopped James how would you like it if, if you heard tomorrow that somebody shot and killed one of your pastors dead and then you found out not only that that they came after another pastor and he's languishing right now and they're gonna take him before the firing squad in a couple days you grab the face of the father and you make sure you're connecting right That's what happened here. I love the blessed howevers. Peter's locked up. You know, they got their 16 guys on him. But the church is praying. Listen. Listen with ears that can hear me right now. The whole church knew that Peter was in trouble. The whole whole church knew Peter. They knew he was gifted. They knew his life and suddenly something evil came in suddenly and snatched Peter away from them and now Peter's in a dark dungeon chained you listening to me church Peter took him away from us he's lost by himself chained poor Peter he was just here now he's gone, but the church prayed for Peter. It might be a Peter, you know that we're thinking about. Pray with me this way, forehead to forehead, eyes eye, face to face, for our Peter. Amen. So Peter's locked up. The church is praying. Why does James die and Peter is delivered? Why is Patty Kelsey surviving and other Christians dying? I don't know. God knows. God is good. God's got us all all on individual paths. He knows what he's doing with everybody. But here's the problem. Is this that maybe James' mom is thinking, uh, yeah, I'm real happy for Peter. Where was God when my boy was languishing? Ah, I don't think she fell into that because she sounds like a spiritual woman. God's like a potter. We're the clay. He's got us spinning around, right? And sometimes we're spinning, we're pretty dizzy, and we're thinking, uh, is why aren't you spinning? <laughs> uh, here I am. I can't even move. I'm so dizzy. And then the fingers come down into the clay, right? Into your head. You know, kind of, you know. And then he takes this sharp thing and he's got you spinning like that. Your whole world's upside down. And here it comes. What is that thing? You know? And he brings it in and it starts peeling things away. There's going to be nothing left of me. And then we're like, whoa, what? Is that thing even spinning? What is wrong with you? I'm in a kiln at 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And look at you, where'd you go? Oh, you just got back from Hawaii. Oh, and your husband got a raise. Oh, so I'm so happy for you. What? God, come on. Why aren't you sticking your thumbs over there? Why don't you take that clay, turn it upside down like that, give it a little spin. You want me to help? <laughs> I'll help John, chapter 21. Jesus, heart to heart with Peter. Peter, listen to me. Listen, your dream's gonna come true, man. You're gonna be the he-man. You're gonna die. You're gonna die for me like you want. And John, the apostle, walks by whistling some happy tune from Disneyland. All right? <laughs> He's just been told you're gonna be crucified. And 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 John goes by whistling zippity-doodah, right? <laughs> so Peter says, What about him? And the Lord says, What about him? If I want him to live until I bust the skies open, what business of that is yours? Your business, Peter, is to follow me and take your eyes off of the clay spinning around over here. That's my business. Amen? Amen? Amen. Just stop looking around and comparing our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, When we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are fools. But I still love you, and God still loves me, because we do it all the time. Just keep your eyes. He said, what is that to you? Follow me, Peter. Follow me. Follow me. Eyes up here, buddy. Eyes up here. This isn't important. That's my business. Amen. So a zero hour order of execution has been signed. The date is set. Peter dies in the morning. It's the eve of his execution. And now we get to see what Peter's doing. What is Peter doing in your text? Is he writing his last will and testament? Is he crying and sobbing and falling apart? Is he bunting his fingernails? Is he up? Oh, the guard's saying, what's wrong? You can't sleep? You're going to die tomorrow. None of that. What did he do? He ate his supper. He took off his sandals, took off his outer robe, got, kind of got comfortable on one of their shoulders. <laughs> and he fell into a restful, peaceful sleep, so much so that the angel can't just go, hey, Peter, Peter. I'm sure the angel tried. Like uh, why? The word is to strike with a blow, all right? So, you know, I can see him going back up to heaven saying, I had to hit him. I had to hit him hard. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was, what? Because he's, he's got the peace that passes understanding. He's like, win-win. Tomorrow morning, guess what, you guys? one-way ticket to see Jesus, my Savior God in the flesh. I didn't even know it at the time. I can't wait to tug him and say, I didn't know you were God. Wow. And and I'm going to see what heaven looks like, and I'm going to be out of this body, and I'm going to be in my new body. (laughs) Sweet dreams, you know? Either way, I live to talk about this, or I live to talk about it with him. Either way, it's a win-win. So he goes to sleep, and you know, here comes the angel, Angels come down. They're with us. Hebrews 1, chapter 14 says that angels are ministering spirits so they don't have a body unless they need one. They can manifest. But they are invisible, and they are sent to uh, help or minister to uh, those who inherit salvation, in other words, believers. So <laughs> Hebrews 1:14 says they're around; they worship with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. They guide and direct us in God's will. Joseph the shepherds, uh, Mary at Resurrection Sunday, uh, Cornelius. Little children have angels. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Uh, I'm going to try to slip in a story if I make it fast enough. Some of you have heard my angel story before, but, um, you know, the Bible says we've entertained angels. Most of the time we don't realize it. I'm onto one of them, and I want to tell you the story because it's the most fascinating story I have, and I use it once a year where whenever I see angels in the text, I get a chance to tell the story again. Uh, Ten years ago, 11 years now, I was, uh, well, it was a few years before that, I was diagnosed with cancer. First, they found this tumor. They're all gone now and I'm totally cured. They can't even find scar tissue. That said, at the time, I had this undiagnosed disease that was killing me. And so uh, I didn't know what was going on. I had a doctor's appointment where he was gonna tell me the big news. Um, I was driving in the car one day and I heard a sermon by Charles Stanley. And in the sermon, he started saying, when you face Goliath, you gotta have the kind of faith that says it's a done deal. Goliath, I don't care how big and tall you are, you're gonna go over. It's a done deal. He kept using that phrase through the whole sermon, and my heart was, so, I, my heart was burning with this truth. I gotta have the faith that says it's a done deal. This isn't gonna take my life. Well, I went home, I told my wife about it. I had a struggle. I don't wanna say, it's a done deal, it's a done deal, and then slowly die and go into hospice and tell all my kids, it's a done deal. Just keep saying it's a done deal, have that faith, and then die and make everybody more theologically confused than before, right? (laughs) So my wife says, why don't you call pastor? Ask him what to do. Pastor Steve, it's on my heart. God spoke to me. I, 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 I want to have a done deal kind of faith, but I don't know. So he said, why don't you pray? Let's pray right now on the phone. God, I'll tell you if it's a done deal, and then we'll believe him. And then I thought, oh, do I really want to know? <laughs> <laughs> so on the phone, my words, I say, oh, Lord, just, just if it's a done deal, that phrase, just let me know, and I'll believe you for all of the miracles to follow. Two days later... I'm at UCSF with Barb. The elevator doors open. There's a woman standing from, there's a basement. So there's a woman already in the elevator and she's in front of the control panel. Barbara and I alone step in behind her. To the back of her head, I say, can you hit five? She turns around, you're me, and says, It's a done deal, okay? She doesn't turn back. She's beaming like I won the lottery, all right? And she's staring there. The doors are closed. Her hands are up, and she's staring at me, smiling. My first thought, I'm thinking a thousand thoughts. One of those thoughts was what was funny because the smile and the joy, I didn't get the joke. Why are you smiling was my first thought because what's funny about, yeah, did you hear the one about the guy who says, can you hit five? (laughs) There's no reason for the smile. So that that sent me, next thought, she's crazy, (laughs) right? Because please turn around, (laughs) stop engaging me, right? Third thing. That's a strange answer to a back of a head. Can you hit five? I, I would say, sure, no problem, or nothing. I would grunt. I would do something. But I certainly wouldn't spin around on my heels with my hands in the air and say, it's a done deal, staring into my eyes. So I'm staring into her eyes, and I, 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 before God, her eyes and my eyes, I felt like she went... Like, get it? And my, my, my mind went to, if it's a done deal, just let me know. And I went, oh, 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 now Barb thinks I'm crazy. And I grab both of her wings. and, and I, The angels don't have wings, by the way. And I hold on to her hands, and I go, oh, she's just smiling, not turning around still. I go, oh, I just prayed. I just prayed this door to Daba. And she understood me. <laughs> I, I, I was all over that and just said, listen, you don't know whether, and she's just nodding politely. Barb's going, honey, the door's open. Need to go. So we go out. The door's closed. She gets off on the 18th floor. There's no 18th floor, but wherever she went, come on. Listen, folks, that's not a normal thing to do or to say the day after somebody asked the Lord, is it a done deal, and and I'm looking for an answer, am I gonna survive this cancer or not? The answer was, you are, and I did. Angels are around. There's just no explanation for that. There is no human explanation. People say things that sometimes get anointed, right? But not that strange. That is just a little too strange for me. And, and by the way, well, here I am, 11 years later, uh, with no signs of cancer at all. Amen. Thank you. Know? And, yeah. Oh, I love telling that story. I want to tell it again. <laughs> and so yeah, I know I will. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, So the angel gets to work. I love this part. he puts little uh, anesthetizing uh, masks on all the guards. Now, you're feeling very sleepy. (laughs) All of them just kind of conk out. And they're, you know, I love this. The chains (laughs) clank off. Peter thinks he's dreaming. And the angel's all, I love that Peter obeys even in his dreams. Think about that. He thinks he's dreaming, but he's obeying. That's really nice, I think. Get dressed, put your shoes on, man. And then this is my favorite part. Hey, don't forget your jacket. What? An angel saying, don't forget your jacket. It just just stands out to me. So miraculous, but not uh, letting go of the practical. It's just kind of neat. So uh, he's thinking he's dreaming, and he's like, okay, this is the best dream I've ever had. Of course, an angel, yes. He's thinking this while he's dreaming. Have you ever had a dream you're aware you're dreaming? You know, that's what he's thinking is happening. So he's like, hey, I like this dream. Let's keep this going. He looks to the right. Yeah, of course you're sleeping. Looks to the left. Yeah, what's wrong with you, buddy? I'm going to escape. You know, he's in his dream. And so the angel's talking to him. Get dressed, man. Get your shoes on. Yes. I could see him kind of joking around like this is fun, you know? This is a dream. And so, you know, he's waving to the guards on the way out, you know, and the angel's kind of, oh, oh, what do I got here? So suddenly they get to the iron gate where the dream ends, right? That's where you think, oh, this is it. Then I wake up. And then suddenly the bolts slid back. The lock turned itself and then the great iron gate swing opens wide. The word there is automatos, where we get the word automatically. Opens up when people are praying and God wants to do a work. He opens doors that no man can shut and he opened that door, and then he goes one block, follow the angel, follow the angel. This is fun, this is fun. Whoa, where'd he go? <laughs> and then the cold air is hitting his face, and he sees his breath fogged up, and he realizes, Wow, I'm outside. A dog barks, you know, <laughs> he's looking around like, Whoa, what happened? Here, this really happened. And then the quote, This was no dream, I'm rescued. This was an angel from God who just saved me from Herod's clutches. And boy, are the Jews gonna be disappointed tomorrow. It's a really nice touch. Peter uses a word that's associated with Passover with the deliverance word there. He's delivered me, same word there. An old chorus that we learned at Bible college right at the beginning of my Christian life, uh, got any rivers that seem uncrossable Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible and he will do what no other power will do. I dare say there are many iron gates represented by the faces and hearts in this very room. Grab the face. Forehead to forehead, eye to eye with your father and find out from him, does this gate need to open up or stay closed? If it stay closed, I'm good. Because you don't want to open a door that God thinks is best to remain closed. Like Jesus' prayer, I love Jesus' prayer. I'm not happy right now with this cup if there's any other way around this, Lord, uh, Father God, can you take this away? Nevertheless, your will's best, and I'll do your will. But this is how I feel about it. And the gate remains shut for our Lord. Sometimes it opens, sometimes it doesn't, but whatever the case with a yielded heart, it's good. All right, 12 through 18. When this had dawned on him that he's standing outside, (laughs) he went to the house of Mary, Mary, the mother of John, right? Different Mary, who also called Mark, John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocks at the outer entrance, love this part, and a servant girl named Rhoda, her name means Rose, came to answer the door. Now, she recognizes Peter's voice. She's so excited, she runs back without opening the door and exclaims, Peter's at the door. And here is their Christian response, full of faith. You're out of your mind. (laughs) 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 What she kept insisting that it was so, they said, all right, it must be his angel or ghost. But Peter kept on knocking, (laughs) and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Understatement of the year there. All right. The, pers- the purse the church was persecuted the church prayed and now the church is surprised now kind of an unflattering snapshot of these spirit-filled christians they're praying fervently but not with a whole lot of faith right have you ever been shocked when god has heard you and answered you and given you what the very thing that you asked for and you're really surprised anybody yeah, hands go up all over the place. You know, that's not a good sign. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> that's not a good sign at all. Um, poor Rhoda, you know. Uh, she's made people laugh for 2,000 years. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not embarrassing. Uh, it's something that we all kind of have fun with. Uh, imagine Peter's disappointment. He's safe. He's a little bit nervous now. I mean, he's been through a prison break, right? And so he's, he's there, and he's at Mary's house. It's the upper room. It's a place where uh, people will be looking for him. So Dawn's almost here, like, let me in. And there, and then she says, Peter, that's you. Rosie, Rosie, let me in. Uh, ah, it's Peter. <laughs> and, and then she hears... The, foot, the footsteps trailing off. It's like, ah, I'm stuck out here in the night. Yeah, not good. And so she goes running in, and uh, she has to deal with a bunch of doubting Thomases. You know, all these, I see charismatic in a good sense of the word, praying, and forehead to forehead, I to Shh, shh, we're praying for Peter. Peter's at the door, shh. We're praying for his release. Uh, he's out. And he's out in the front step. Shh, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, not good. Not good. Oh ye of little faith. I can't believe they said uh, you're crazy. You know, what would have been nice to read in there that somebody full of faith just said, hey, guys, we're connecting. I just feel like he's going to do this. Rosie, go to the door and sit on the front porch. Keep your eyes for Peter. And then people say, what do you mean keep your eyes filled. Why bother praying for it if you don't think it's going to happen? So I think we should be like the dad who met Jesus along the way. His boy was having demonic seizures. He was falling into the fire. The disciples couldn't do a thing about it. And so the Lord uh, was there, and he comes to the Lord. He tells the Lord the story about his boy. And he says, your disciples couldn't help him, but how about you? If you can do something, Lord, please. And Jesus says, love this. Jesus says, if I can, if I can. He says, "Uh, all things are possible for those who have faith. And then he says, oh, Lord, I have faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's kind of the way to go with faith. You know, I believe you could heal her or him, but help my unbelief, you know, because I I want to be pleasing uh, in your sight. Pray, believe, expect. Don't demand. Just kind of make room, practically, for if God says a yes. I think that would be pleasing to him. So she keeps insisting, and then they say something very silly that Christians ought not to say, bad theology, perhaps it's his ghost. Now, so in other words, first of all, bad faith. They killed him, all right? Second of all, if it's his ghost, why is he knocking on the door? (laughs) He would get to come right in, right? Third of all, everybody knows, when you die, listen, I hear this all the time at non-Christian memorial services. He's here right now with me. I feel him. She's not really far. You know, something happened last night and we had this little joke between us and there it was. The page was open that I know she turned it to that page. No, I'm sorry. No, not biblical. Two choices. You get in an elevator. You go to the top floor. The door opens up. There's Jesus. You get in an elevator of unbelief you descend and the door opens up there's agony it's called Hades that's your two options king david in 2 samuel chapter 12 said about his dead boy i will go to him but he won't be coming back this way 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord for christians Angels and demons, their spirits, they're here. Humans who depart, depart for good. They do not come back. They cannot hear you. I like to to say to the Lord, Lord, would you tell my dad, would you tell my mom, because I know they happen to be there. I don't talk to my dad, I don't talk to my mom. I might say something silly to them. But I like to say, hey, Lord, communicate to my dad. I'm thinking about him right now. That's the way it is, because your dad and your mom, if they've passed, they're gone. They're not in this realm. And that, I think we should have a good theological understanding about that. So he keeps knocking. They're, they're not sure what they're going to see when they open the door. They open the door, and there he is with his beard out like this and his hair over here. So they figure, oh, it's really him. <laughs> he walks in flesh and blood and they're astonished, they're astonished, in a good way. I'm all for being astonished by God. I mean, I'm astonished. I didn't have a quarter in my pocket. 11 years ago, I had a cancer, bone marrow transplant. I was on disability with that idea to start a church. The, for, at the beginning, no, no help, no mother church, nothing and I get to see this every Sunday and the annual budget and the salaries that go out to everybody. It's amazing. Astonished. I'm astonished. I prayed about it, but wow, there you are. (laughs) It's astonishing, and you all have things like that. So he says, shh, go tell James. James has passed away, the James we all know. James is Jesus' half-brother, who wrote the book of James and is senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That's who James is. Go tell the leaders. And then he disappears because they're going to come to the upper room. Now, did you know that upper room, John Mark lived there. That's John Mark's house. That's the Mark who wrote Mark. Peter led Mark to the Lord. He calls him his son in the faith in 1 Peter chapter 5. So Peter leads John Mark to the Lord. John Mark listens to Peter and writes the gospel of Mark who is related to Mark Barnabas. Barnabas is Mark's cousin so Mary, John Mark's mom and Barnabas's mom are sisters so when Paul and Barnabas come with the offering to Jerusalem they're staying at the house and you read that right at the end Let's finish up here. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, it's a resort city where the Roman government resided, and stayed there for a while. Now, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Now, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So on the appointed day, when they're gonna go and, uh, you know, talk to Herod, he's wearing his royal robes, he sits down on a throne and delivers a public oration to the people. They shout, This is the voice of a God, not of man, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down. Same word, same struck there. And he was eaten by worms and died. TMI. (laughs) You know, remember back in the day, you had an antenna on your television and you had to kind of get it a certain way. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen to me. (laughs) Verse 24, but the word of God, there's that but again. However, the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, uh uh-huh, they were there. They returned from Jerusalem back to Antioch, taking with them John Mark, who's going to, Help evangelize the world. Okay, church persecuted, church prayed, church surprised, and the church is vindicated. I only have time for just a couple thoughts. So, no small commotion. How did that go down? You know, all 16 of them brought in. Herod's like, Who bribed you? Obviously, somebody bribed you. You're making me look bad. The Jews were so happy. They were. So, uh, they, were, they had saliva in their mouth. What's the word? They were salivating. <laughs> they couldn't wait to get a hold of this Peter, and then he disappears on me. You made me look bad. Tell me what's up. Who bribed you? Uh, blah, 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 blah. We don't know. All of a sudden, we were feeling sleepy. <laughs> and he got away. Where, what happened to the chains and the locks? We don't know. Then you're going to die. And he killed them all. Do you know how many of them got saved? First of all, there was great motivation to get saved. (laughs) Second of all, they've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They were chained to Peter for a while. That was good, right? And so uh, maybe something good came of that. Here's how his unsavory life ends. So he's disgusted with the whole thing. He moves up the coast of Caesarea. Uh, He's gonna get this whole thing put behind him. Now, there's coastal towns, Gentile territory. For some reason, they've got problems between them, all right? But they rely on food, like welfare, from Israel, so they want to come up and kiss up back to him, to uh, Agrippa, all right? So they bribe his steward named Blastus, which is not one of the most popular baby names today, (laughs) all right? Maybe for a dog, but not for a kid, So Blastus takes a little money and says, you get to to meet with the king on such and such day. Big pomp and circumstances. The little people from Tyre and Sidon come, oh, king, we shall hear you now. Josephus says, the historian, up in that amphitheater where we got to stand in May, there's a place where the throne would have been. And Agrippa comes out, and Josephus says he was wearing a robe that had silver thread in it so that when the sun hit it, he just gleamed like an angel. And so he stood up and he gave his oration to these little uh, um, peasants groveling at his feet. And when they see the sun and they hear his voice and they want to flatter him, they say, oh, you are more like God to us. And he just waves with a benevolent hand and nods his head and then buckles over in pain. Because the angel gives him an elbow to the ribs, a lethal one. Why five days? God to Herod, you got five days to think about the whole thing, buddy. He didn't just strike him dead. This is God. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but that everybody should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's our God. You get five days on a bed, in pain, to think, to repent. Who knows? We might hear him tell the whole story in a much favorable light, if he bowed his heart during those five days. You know, the Lord just drew a, a line in the sand with him and said, this is how far you go, Herod. It's okay, here, here, and here, and here. Here's your line. Go, go over the line, you're gonna die. And there's the stalker stalking him, the unseen angel watching him get dressed, put his silver robe on. The angel's there in the room. And he ordered it. He's getting it tailored. The angel's there. The unseen angel is there listening, watching him, walking him up there to the platform. There he stands. The angel is there. Yes, I am who you think I am, a God. Signal, angel, strike. Cross the line. Oh, don't cross lines. You know the lines. Don't cross them. It's not good. Amen. Warren Wiersbe has a closing paragraph on this chapter. Just read it, and we'll close. The early church didn't have political clout or friends in high places to pull strings for them. Instead, they went to the highest throne of all, the throne of grace. They were praying people, and God loved to answer their prayers in amazing ways. They didn't need to bribe any man or flatter any king. They just needed to lay their requests before the Father in heaven. Peter was miraculously delivered. The church was strengthened in faith. The word of God increased and spread, souls were saved and the bad guys were dealt with. At the beginning of the chapter, Herod, Herod is in control and the church is losing. And at the end of the chapter, Herod is dead and the church is growing. Prayer seems to be the thing that turned the chapter around. You got some troubles in your life, you got some iron bars, you go bound up inside, you got your chains, you got your soldiers. You got a quiet time? That's a time where you, every day, sit before the Father and grab his face and put his face right there, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, face to face, and say, God, I, I love you. I'm, I'm quiet now. Talk to me. What do, what do you see that I don't see? What am I not getting? You know this thing, you know, I don't even want to talk about it. You know what I'm thinking about, right? You've you got to help me with that. Face to face. Oh, Lord, Jesus, thank you for all my blessings. Hey, hey, the other day when this person said that and I said this, you know, I'm sorry about that. Face, quiet, no cell phones, no errands, no running in the car. Oh, I pray all the time. Oh, I'm always praying. Yeah, Okay. That's nice, but when do when you get this time? That's the time for your soul to live, for God to speak. Most Christians don't have a quiet time. Most Christians do not pray very much. And that would say a lot to what we see in our lives and our struggles and our contentment levels and our marriages and all this stuff set the alarm, slow down. Stop running on fumes. Running on fumes is going to get you in trouble because you're going to find yourself broken down in some lane somewhere calling AAA, (laughs) right? (laughs) Grab the face. Make time for it. Be intentional about it. And you're going to see some doors open up. You're going to see some chains fall off. Are you willing? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want the chains to fall off? Do you want the door to open? Then a little face time, quiet, you and him, earnest, stretching, straining. Let's pray. Well, Lord, uh, four fingers are going out. One finger is going out, and four fingers are pointing at me. Lord, uh, we are all challenged by your word. We want to be engaged with you in a passionate way. It's so hard. Uh, it's easy once in a while, but the work is consistent. And the discipline is, is grueling at times. That help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And Again, has experienced what Peter experienced, because we were born dead in our sins, the Bible says, right? we were in the prison kind of headed for sentencing and our execution and our sentence to eternal condemnation but because we believed the chains came off and the door opened up and we were raised to new life I'm wondering if there's anybody here that hasn't happened to you yet you're close but you still you know you got chains I mean we all have problems but those are the chains of unbelief and not being committed to the Lord. You're still in the prison of despair. No life in you because you're not a Christian. Now bow our heads now. Close our eyes. And Christians are praying right now, grabbing the face of God and asking that he be kind to you, the unbeliever. If you're here, you're saying, hey, I've been listening. I get it. I'm a sinner, but I've never asked Christ in, but it's time. I want to make this my day. I open my heart to him and receive his love. That's you. You're not rededicating your life as a Christian. You're coming the first time. You want to raise your hand up nice and high, and we'll say a prayer that kind of helps you get started in that right direction. Anybody here saying, I want to accept the peace that God has made with with me through Christ our Lord? Anybody need that today? love to always make that a uh, opportunity. And now, Father, I pray for us who, supposedly every last soul on the boat, safe, we pray, God, that the truths from this chapter would just saturate our lives and we could recall them in the moment of need. In Jesus' name, amen.